0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Surge and happy Easter. It is an honor uh, that you're here with us this morning. So great to see every one of you. Uh, my name is E. Reese, I'm one of the, the guys here at the Surge. The E, strangely enough, actually stands for Easter. My first name is actually Easter. My parents were really funny, and so right there on the birth certificate it is. Uh, we're going to talk about a couple of things about the resurrection story, and we're going to hit it from a couple of, of different angles. Um, But I want to just start by reading a few verses from the end of the book of Luke. This is Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 49. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. See. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now in this passage, in this story of the resurrection, it it occurs to me that, that the resurrection is about hope and it's about, can this actually be true? And the disciples bounce off of this in a number of ways. In chapter 24, there are several instances of people coming face to face with Jesus and they don't believe it at first and they finally come around to the idea that this hope might be true. And so what I want to talk about is three things. And the first the first thing is this that the hope of the resurrection is in fact real. It's real. <laughs> Jesus was raised from the dead in time and space in history. Actually happened. Literally actually happened. Now there will be a lot of people this morning talk about the talking about the resurrection this morning. They'll be talking about it in a lot of different ways and there are more uh, liberal visions of this that say something like stories are wonderful stories. They're wonderful stories, but they're not actually literally true. They're symbols of the kind of life that we should live. (laughs) That Jesus on the road to Emmaus, that Emmaus never happened. It never actually happened, but it's always kind of happening as we, we come to understand more about how to live a better life, that the story is a symbol. It's a symbol, but it's not an account of actual events. The problem with this is, is that it's not true. <laughs> can I just say that out loud? It's not true. The resurrection happened. It happened. And that it happened changed everything. Here's one of the reasons why I believe it. Uh, when somebody asked me, do you actually, like, come on, do you actually believe that the guy arose? Yeah, I do believe that a guy rose from the dead. Well, why do you believe it? And, and my answer tends to confuse people because the first word out of my mouth is Hamlet. I believe it because of Hamlet. And they go, what? Hamlet? Well, look, uh, my first degree was in English. Most people consider Shakespeare, William Shakespeare, to be the best writer that ever lived in any language. He's the guy. People will argue about that. But for the most part, William Shakespeare is the best writer to ever lived. The best play that Shakespeare wrote is considered by most people to be Hamlet. And again, you can argue about, well, I really like The Tempest, sure. But Hamlet is considered to be the best play by the best guy who ever lived. Hamlet was... A fictional character. Hamlet was a fictional character. Let me say say it this way. When when I was in high school, um, every year they would do this essay competition. And for whatever reason, the little school I went to, we were just, I don't know if we were angry or rebellious. We were just kind of disgruntled, you know, maybe a little... Maybe a little disenfranchised, but but for whatever reason, when they they brought this to my class when I was a senior, they said, "Okay, we are really looking forward because this is a, a particularly bright group of kids. We are really looking forward to the essays that are coming out, and the way that they kind of did it i don 't know why, but it really rubbed pretty much my entire class the wrong way. It was very condescending, it was just really weird and just odd, and so we all just kind of without without coordinating it beforehand, we all just basically rebelled. So the question for our essay was, this was in 1988, was, hey, it looks like we're about to go to world war with Nicaragua. Many of you may remember this. Is Nicaragua going to be the next Vietnam? That was our question. And so we're like, oh no, for goodness sake! We, we live in rural Oklahoma. Like We know a lot about you know, the world events. Um, and so one, one of my friends actually wrote, it's like, we're 17 years old. We live in a farm town in Oklahoma. What do we really know about the geopolitical ramifications of international? Like, come on, why don't you write it? Give us something that we actually know something about. Did you see something on the news last night? I thought, ooh, that'd be a good essay question for farm kids. You know, it's like, let's, let's give them that one. And so he literally just went off on the, on the whole thing. And that guy later became a teacher, hopefully asking better questions of his students. Another guy uh, wrote about a guy named Eddie, who was a hippie kid with long hair that just, he wanted to play basketball, but he wasn't any good. And did not, Nicaragua never came up, but he wrote this epic story about Eddie and the basketball thing and went along. Um, probably the best writer in her class simply wrote, all I'm saying is give peace a chance. John Lennon handed his paper in, <laughs> which, which in rural Oklahoma went over about as well as you would expect. Um, another guy wrote about, and I don't know where this came from, there's a, a Comanche legend of the Deer Woman. Now, in the, the Deer Woman in the Wichita Mountains is like the boogeyman. Like if you're a child and you've been particularly bad, the Deer Woman will sneak into your house at night and collect you and eat you. It's like, kind of it's just gruesome and horrible But he's writing about the Deer Woman instead of Nicaragua. I, I was kind of on, a, on an end times kick. <laughs> you know, so it was like religious nut boy. <laughs> you know, well, it says in the end of Matthew that, you know, Jesus is coming back soon. You know, it's like, it's anytime. So, hey you need to repent and be baptized, you know, and so I'm writing. It's like, and, and, and one of the signs of the end times is war and rumors of war. This is a rumor of war. Don't worry about it. But you need to repent and be baptized, you know, is the thing we need to focus on. And so we had all these things and boy, they got so mad at us for the, the kind of the essay coup that we staged. But, but here's, here's my point. Well, two points. One, I was right, and, no, and we didn't go to war with Nicaragua. <laughs> it wasn't another Vietnam. It was a rumor of war, and I got no credit for that for the essay competition. The second thing is this. I am not willing to lay down my life for Eddie the basketball player. Why? Because my friend made it up. <laughs> why. I mean, as delighted as I was by the long-haired hippie kid who wants to play basketball but it's not any good... I'm not gonna dedicate my life to this and I'm not gonna lay down my life to this. And, and further, I'm not gonna be able to talk a room full of people just like you here today that you need to give your life to Eddie the basketball player. <laughs> and if someone comes along and asks you, you, points a gun at your head and said, you need to renounce Eddie, you d- don't do it, die instead. It's just not believable. I'm not willing to die for Eddie the basketball player. William Shakespeare is not willing to die for Hamlet. He made him up. He's a fictional character. And and if you're saying that the resurrection did not happen, what you're asking me to believe, what you're asking me to believe is that there was a guy in the first century (laughs) that was a better writer than William Shakespeare, that made up a guy out of whole cloth and talked a bunch of his friends into dying horribly for the story that he knew, that he knew for a fact wasn't true. It's very hard to believe. Chuck Colson famously says that, you know, in, in, the, in the Watergate scandal, it's like him and 12 other guys were trying to do this cover-up. They lasted about three weeks and they folded. You know, it's like things came to light. They couldn't keep it together for three weeks. And he's saying, you're asking me to believe that 100 people kept it together for 40 years. There's no way. There's no way that people knew, made this up, knew that they made it up, and actually were willing to give their life for it. We don't do that kind of thing with fiction. <laughs> uh, Luke 1 says it this way. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who came who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. <laughs> know the certainty. Luke is not writing fiction. He's not writing a play. Jesus is not a fictional character. Jesus was raised from the dead in time and space in history. And if you're making the case that Jesus wasn't real and the resurrection wasn't real, you, you've got a long way to go to explain the first century Christians. It's interesting to me as I was reading this story that <laughs> in the uh, Jesus appears to them. He teleports in, right? He just appears, which is pretty cool. And then he starts talking to them. He shows them his hands and his feet. He's crucified. Look, here's the scars. And they go, I'm not sure. And what pushes them over the edge, what gets them to the place, is him eating a fish. (laughs) It just amused me to know. Like, that's the thing, a broiled fish. That's really what, you know, it's like, sure, you can do miracles, and we believe you're the Son of God, but can you eat a fish? I mean, come on! Can you, can you can you can you can you take it up over the bar to eat a fish so that we can believe you rose from the dead? Jesus walks out of the tomb. The two women see him. They report back to the disciples. Peter and John run to the tomb. The tomb is empty. They talk to an angel. Jesus meets two men on the road to Emmaus. They don't recognize him, but he opens Scripture to them and starts talking to them about Messiah and about the Christ. He connects the dots for them in Scripture, and then he reveals himself, and they see that it's Jesus. They come and report this back to the disciples. They see Jesus themselves with their own eyes, and none of this gets them there. It's the fish. He doesn't. They don't believe it until he asks for something to eat. That Jesus has risen from the dead. And what does he come back to tell us with the fish? Avoid fatty foods, right? He's come back. He's come back to talk to us about omega three. It's like no, but it's interesting that that it's the it's the ordinary thing, it's the day to day thing in the midst of this possibility in the midst of this narrative that gets him there. And why does Luke share this detail? Jesus is, is telling us something important. I'm not a symbol, right? I'm not a fictional character. I'm not a phantom. I'm a, I'm a person. You have something to eat. And, and that human connection of food gets them there. So Jesus was raised from the dead in time, in space, in history. And the hope of the resurrection is real. <laughs> The hope of the resurrection is also personal. Um, people say a lot of things about what happens to us after we die. Our bodies decay; we return to the soil. The soil grows a plant, which feeds the wildebeest. The wildebeest is in turn eaten by little Reggie and future generations. And it's the circle of it's the circle of life. It's the circle of life, right? Uh, or people say that life ends and that's it. Screen goes dark. Nothing happens, we just cease. But the story of the resurrection gives us another option. It gives us another option. Because the reality is that the deep desire of our heart isn't just to continue. The deep desire of our heart is to love and be loved in return. The idea of ending or returning to some impersonal force, it doesn't, that we don't really remember anything. Those things hit me in a hollow way because it strips us of our ability to love and be loved. You know what she's doing, right? She's actually brought me a little bit of broiled fish. It's going to be great. It's going to be fantastic. (laughs) And then she disappears. So what kind of fish is this? It's mahi-mahi. Oh, excellent. You know, mahi-mahi was very big in the first century. <laughs> did, you, did you know that? Oh, yeah. So, we actually have here a bit of broiled. Thank you, Karen. You're such a good, you're such a good sport. This is my wife, uh, Karen. She actually plays harp for the White House. She's very powerful and can support a hat, too. Look at that. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, so there's actually a if you're in doubt about the resurrection, just let me help you over the edge. Are you ready? I'm going to eat this right in front of you just like Jesus. Are you ready? That's pretty good. Yeah. So you can set yourself, your doubts aside now. You're welcome. Huh. <laughs> the problem with the impersonal vision of, uh, of death is that it strips us of our ability to love and be loved, which is the deep desire of our heart. It's something I don't buy. The, the resurrection is a better story. It's a better option. And so now, for the introverts, um, I have like the interactive portion of our program, which is, which is good. This, my friends, is a $100 bill. Um, how, what, how much value does this have? Just anybody. Not a trick question. $100. Everybody with me? What about if I fold it? Increase it. How much value does it have? Come on, I want you to say it, it's $100, come on. $100, thank you. Okay, what about, if, what about if I dog ear a corner? Does that take it down to $97? How much value does this have? $100, yeah. You see where I'm going, you see where I'm going. What about if I just, what about if I just wad it up? I'm just, gonna cr- I'm just gonna crinkle it up. You know, it's a little, like, okay, that's gotta be, that's 67.50, come on, that's gotta diminish the, how much is this worth? Hundred dollars right. And you see where you see where I'm going with this, right? What what about if I what if I just continue to mishandle this poor little hundred dollars, poor little hundred dollar bill? What if I just put it on the ground and just step on it? And just stomp it. it sticks to my shoe. How much how much is it worth now? Hundred dollars hundred dollars, right? See, here's the thing. There's people in this room that have been folded. <laughs> You've been creased. You've been dog-eared. You've been wadded up by life, by circumstances, maybe even by your own decisions, right? Anybody Anybody with, you, with me on that one? And you've accepted a narrative about yourself that says that you are diminished in value, that you're worth less than you used to be, less than you would be if things had gone better for you and you were still a clean, crisp person, Right? We, we accept these things about ourselves, about things that we've done wrong, about life that's kicked us around, about people who have spoken into our lives and said, you know what? I'm all done with you, buddy. A spouse or a job or a friend who just turns their back on us and walks away and, and tells, us, tells us through their words and through their actions that you are less than. You are not worth as much as you used to be, buddy. <laughs> but guess what? The worth of this $100 bill is not based on my mishandling of it. The worth of this $100 bill is not based on if I step on it or if I don't step on it, if I wad it up or if I don't. The worth of that $100 bill is because there's authority of the United States in its legal tender and that authority infuses meaning and value into this piece. The entity that created it infused it with value and that value holds. And guess what? We are made in what's called the Imago Dei. It's the image of God. And God has infused us intrinsically with value. And you know what? Our circumstances, our bad decisions, our rough handling by life or other people, the things that have broken us down, that have dog-eared us, that have crinkled us up, that have folded us in half, (laughs) have not ultimately diminished our value. Don't accept the story. Don't accept that lie. Do not accept it because the reality is Jesus came for you. He died for you. You are incredibly valuable to God. Your value is undiminished, undiminished to him. And the story of the resurrection gives us a hope, and it's a hope that's personal, right? It's not just a hope that's out there. It's a hope that's right here. It's closer than our next breath, (laughs) And it doesn't matter how we've been crushed by life. It doesn't matter that we've been crushed by our bad decisions. God still values us immensely. And Jesus did not come back to the disciples as an impersonal life force. Sorry. He didn't come back as part of a musical with animals, a circle of life, yay. He came back and he was himself. He dealt with real people uniquely where they were. And you know what? He had some fish while he was at it with Peter and the disciples a couple of times. And the piece of fish took on an immense amount of meaning. The hope is real. The hope was personal. <laughs> hope brought a fish sandwich. It was great. <laughs> okay. So the hope is real. The hope is personal. And the last thing the resurrection teaches us is this. The hope of the resurrection... Oh, hear me. The hope of the resurrection. It's wonderful. People tell us that this is all there is, that all stories end in death, but Easter gives us another option. People say that, well, maybe God exists, but he's out there. He's out there somewhere, (laughs) right? He's inaccessible, but no. He's here and he's ordering fish sandwiches. Not only that, but the resurrection isn't a consolation prize. Well, you go through this life and it stinks and you suffer, but then there's heaven and it's, you know, it's a little bit better there than it is here. After a hard life of woe and suffering, you get a consolation prize of heaven. But, it, but it's even deeper than that. It's even more than that. God just doesn't offer us another, something else. He actually, through the work of redemption, steps in to remake creation. He steps in to fix Creation there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And it begins with Jesus himself. And apparently, for the nerds in the room, resurrection bodies have X-Men powers, right? He's got the powers of mystique because he, he looks like somebody else and, until he decides to reveal himself on the road to Maryse. He teleports into the room, so we've got nightshade going on. That's pretty cool. So we, you know, you've know, got resurrection bodies with, with powers, maybe more, right? And something else happens as well. In Luke 24, the last part of the passage we read, it says this. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are my witnesses of all these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The good news that is for us, that is unique and personal and real to us, it isn't just for us. The truth of the resurrection opens our hearts and minds to scripture. The resurrection is the linchpin. It's the thing that helps us connect all the pieces together in a way that nothing else does. But it's not just for us. Because the reality is, Is every single person in this room, every one of you, you know a guy, (laughs) you know a girl who has been folded, who's been roughly treated, dog-eared, right? Anybody know someone that's been dog-eared this year? Anybody know someone that's been kind of crumpled up by life? That's had a hard row with their family or with their friends or with their job or with just circumstance? There's some good news, right? There's some good news. And look for an opportunity, if you would, to tell them that they're valuable. To tell them that God loves them and so do you. That it's not, their story's not done yet. That they're not worth 67 50 32 95 They're worth $100, right? They have not lost their value in the eyes of their father. And they've not lost their value in the eyes of you. Give them a story. Give them hope. And do not underestimate the power of a simple act of kindness. Of a simple, can I say it, act of connection. Fish sandwich. You never know how far that'll go. It might be the thing that pushes them over the edge. But they go, ah, I don't believe. But you know what? Now I do. Isn't that interesting? In the first century, there was an acrostic of, of Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God, our Savior. And the first letter of each of those words actually spelled out ichthys, which in Greek means fish. <laughs> and in a society where being a Christian would get you, you know, hung on a cross or fed to the lions or burned at the stake, they were a little bit circumspect with how open they were to talking to just anybody about who it was, and they had a symbol, and then make the symbol of a fish. A symbol of a fish. <laughs> talking about the hope of the gospel and the hope of what God has done. Isn't it interesting that the heart of the resurrection story comes back to something simple, to something human, to something that connects us? Something like a fish. The band is going to come back up. We're going to do one more song to wrap out our Easter service. So guys, if you would uh, come ahead. But I just want to say this. The hope of the resurrection is real. Jesus is not a fictional character. The hope of the resurrection is personal. God has come for you and he's come for you uniquely and he loves you deeply and uniquely. And we all know someone who has value and who has forgotten. If you would take some time to remind them. Tell them it's not over. Tell them they're valuable. Tell them that they're loved. And when the time is right, feed them a fish sandwich and and, uh, help them connect in a way that is profound. Let's pray.